Hello, everyone. My name is Ian Rowe. And I'm Nike Fajors. And welcome to The Invisible Men, where we make the achievements of incredible men invisible no more. Hello, uh, this is Ian Rowe, and welcome to another episode of The Invisible Men. I am very pleased to be joined by my colleague. Hello, I'm Nike Fajor. So happy to be here. And we're very excited to be bringing yet another episode of The Invisible Men, where we make the incredible feats of people who you may not know uh, invisible no more. And today we are joined by our colleague, Troy Stovall, who is actually part of the original uh, The Invisible Men. We, Nike and I, were actually at business school years ago, and we had this idea to create a documentary years ago to introduce this idea of black excellence. Troy was part of that original vision, and he's yes. joining us today. Uh, and Troy has just been named uh, the executive director and CEO of Maryland Tedco, which is a great technology organization uh, that Troy will tell us about. And at his, uh, at his ceremony, they introduced Troy as someone who is an inspiring leader, a person of integrity and character, and someone who rolls his sleeves up to solve hard problems. Can't imagine a greater person to come talk to us about Black excellence. So Troy, welcome and tell us a little bit about your story and how you got to be where you are. Well, first of all, um, it is, you know, um, I'm a man of faith. And so it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to be at this point, but I'm even more blessed to be able to call the two of you friends. And even after all these years of frankly, not having much communication to be able to still connect as if we just saw each other yesterday. And that's, that's the definition of, of bonding and brotherhood that we can still be connected and more than happy to be a part of this. And when you guys, as you know, when you called, it was, it wasn't a question of if it was a question of figuring out a date. And so um, I'm also elated that the two of you continue to drive this conversation that, frankly, in this year of 2020, which has just been uh, an amazing year on a, a variety of dimensions, that this conversation is, has even more relevance uh, as in that. So with that, just real quick on TEDCO. So TEDCO is a 22-year-old organization the state of Maryland set up to basically at, at a real simple level, it's I'm a venture capitalist. Uh, we, we invest in early stage technology companies um, and we have a variety of different funding mechanisms. Uh, we do everything from getting stuff out of our, our great institutions of higher learning here in Maryland, out of the labs and commercializing those uh, to looking at stem cell opportunities and regenerative medicine to looking at early stage opportunities for black and women owned businesses. Um, and we can put anywhere from $15,000 up to a million and a half dollars into these, uh, to these uh, early stage companies. And these are many times pre-revenue uh, opportunities that we're investing in. Uh, and on top of that, we do these wraparound services. So we do everything from loaned executives uh, to roundtables to ensure the, the success, not only of these individual entities, uh, but the overall innovation culture here in Maryland. So that's, that is what we do. Uh, in test. So I'm excited, as you can tell, about uh, being a part of this. And and as far as my journey, real quick, that um, you know, um, you know, I'm just uh, I'm I'm a kid from seven seven zero three three. Folks that don't know, that's the zip code in Southeast Houston, uh, South Park, Sunnyside, uh, the hood. You know, there's <laughs> no other way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and that's that's who and what I am. And I've been blessed to 
to be able to to go to places like Southern Methodist University and, and Stanford and, and Harvard Business School. Where I met these two great individuals um, and, and along the way worked at places like uh, Bell Labs and Southwestern Bell and McKinsey, uh, had my own firm. Uh, started a, um, a private equity firm with a, a high net worth individual named John Palmer, who's the former ambassador to Portugal, um, have been able to be the C-level executive at uh, several HBCUs, including Howard University, Jackson State University, and the University of District of Columbia. So I've had, you know, I, I love the journey that I've had and that, frankly, that's the journey and all those elements have allowed me to be here at TEDCO because I bring all those elements. I, I'm Sometimes I'm an engineer or a computer scientist. Sometimes I'm a business person. Sometimes I'm a consultant. Sometimes I'm, you know, a venture capitalist. Sometimes I'm working with the higher education. So all those pieces, Ian and Nike, have brought me to this point in my journey. But what I'll close with is, um, and I think I said this when when we were talking about uh, Daryl, you know, my mama told me a long, long time ago, my mama's passed away, uh, God rest her soul, was that we put on this planet for one reason and one reason only. And that's to make a difference in one person's life. The challenge is you don't know when that one person is going to come into your life or, or you know, what they're going to do with you. And so my mama told me you, you have to make a difference in everybody's life you touch. And so that's what's driven me. That continues to drive me. That continues to have these types of conversations. And so I'm, I'm appreciative for, for you guys reaching out to me again. And just again, thank you all for what you do for, for, for the community. No, thank you. Thank you. I mean, when you say you were, you were in, in the hood, what what was it that was it did you have this vision then of where you would be right now what, wow um you know I, I you know I, you know I distinctly remember about growing up so we grew up you know it was a, nothing special it was just simple home mom mom um parents were divorced but dad was around he wasn't you know not around he was around um but it was my mom and my sister you know on a daily basis and um, there was this guy in our neighborhood, Ian, a guy named Dan Mask. And Dan worked for IBM. And he also uh, did um, Amway, too. And Dan ended up moving out. He and uh, his family uh, had a wife, two kids, uh, about the same age as my sister and I. And I'll never forget, Ian, they moved out. And they moved into this area of Houston at that time was developing called Missouri City, which at that time was kind of developing uh, Sugarland. And And they had this wonderful two-story house and, you know, this pool table. And, and that was to me like, wow. And I never forget going to the house and they had this thing called cable TV. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, what is this thing? They had a remote control. And so that was, and I think we talked about this with Daryl. I mean, the challenge that so many of us have is we're limited by our, you know, our, the view that we have blocks our vision, right? The view of what we have in front of us blocks what we could be in, and what, what allowed me to escape that was my mom. She sent me to um, uh, a private um, all-boys school there in Houston uh, called St. Thomas. And uh, to this day, I'm very active with St. Thomas because that really changed my trajectory. That changed who and what I am. I became their first black student body president and a whole bunch of other first black things, which were sad that in the 80s, it still was the first black was still you know, relevant, but it was, or still is. Um, got the first black vice president, the first female black vice president. So who knew? Um, and, and so that changed my trajectory, Ian and IQ, and that opened up my eyes. I, I talk all the time about, um, you know, so many of us. There's actually a study about this that most of us will will experience, you know, three to five zip codes in our lifetime. Really experience them. I, I've well exceeded that with my life, but 
people that we're talking, the Daryls that we're talking about, barely experience one zip code. So you think about that, barely experience one zip code in their life. So their whole frame of reference is a zip code. And zip codes, Ian, have become um, many little prisons because th th they've, they've, they've created fences around them. And we call them now school boundaries and things like that. And those structures, those elemental structures, we don't think about them, but they, have, they create inhibitions for people to see beyond what they could really see and see the rest of the world beyond their zip code. I, I love that reference, I, and I've never heard it uh, articulated that way. Well, of course, brother, you open by saying how appreciative you are to be with us, but the, to see you again is an absolute joy for me. You know, and given your background and your, your technology base, your computer science base, I hear a lot, because I still spend a lot of time in Silicon Valley, that, hey, a college education mm. is no longer relevant. You need to go learn how to code. You need to learn some mach machine learning. How do you think about as a technologist and also a highly educated gentleman, this dilemma of does college matter anymore? Well, yeah, we, we don't have time for we, we got we could spend that's that's like a whole bottle of wine and a whole case of wine on this. one. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a tough one because I just just literally just gave a speech on this here in Maryland. Um, and I talked a lot about this like you when I just left uh, the University of the District of Columbia and I am in the boat that that the job market is changing, right? It is foundationally changing. And that's putting pressure on this economic structure that the four-year institutions have, which has been, you gotta start as a freshman and end as a senior and get this thing called a bachelor's degree. And, you know, I, I, I'll pivot just a little bit if I may. I, I talk about, I, I've got an interesting situation at TEDCO where about half, more than half of the folks at TEDCO are under 40. And my observation of those people under 40 are the following. A, they ain't going to work for one company for 30-some years, get the gold watch, and retire. That model is dead, right, for them. Two, they grew up, like my son and like probably your kids, they grew up in the, in the video game generation. And what I mean by that is the accumulation of skills, they, they go to the next level, they go to the next level, they go to the next level. And if they can't get to the next level, they get bored. And so as managers, it's incumbent on us to rethink this notion of a job. Um, and it's not a series of things to do. It's a series of skills to attain. And we have to find a different way because we have this, this, this very militaristic structure of how, we, how things have to, have to progress, right? And the titles and the salaries. When in reality, we have to think more broadly and more linearly about how skills attain. And so to your question, I'm in the camp that there are certain jobs where certifications, where you, we have to create pathways and a different structure that allows someone to get, um, to get certain skills, to go get the job, and then find a way on their time and on their economics to attain whatever they may need to attain, whether that's an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree or whatever, as opposed to this rigid structure we have now. We have to become more flexible, and that's going to be very difficult for higher ed to adapt to. But I'm, I'm in the camp that, um, and, 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 and we use this term workforce, and this is one of those, to me, one of those words that have uh, racial connotations to it and stigma attached to it, because we use it, and times when white people use it, they're really talking about low-end jobs, entry-level jobs for black and brown people. That's what they're really trying to say. But you and I and Ian are all part of the workforce. We are. I don't care if you got five PhDs, you're part of the workforce. 
And so my, my, my close with is, to Daryl would be, you, first there's a conversation of what you're passionate about. Where's your passion? Where should your passion take you? And then have a conversation about what's that pathway that allows you to get to that passion. And I haven't mentioned jobs or, or academic stuff. And then we can talk about what's that academic and, and, and skill attainment path that's necessary for Daryl to start to pursue his dream. That's the conversations we need to be having with, with our young men. But we don't want to have that conversation. We want to have a conversation that there is this only one path and one path on. Look, let's be real clear on, so people don't throw too many uh, electronic bananas at me. You have to get educated. This is, not a, this is not a negativity on not getting it. You have to get educated because there's all kinds of economics and studies that show that there is a correlation between being educated and attaining economic success. What I'm arguing is there may be more than one way to get there, and there is not in, no singular way for any one body to get there. That is what I'm arguing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And there are a lot of building blocks that, that help kids develop that passion, that perseverance. You started by saying you're a man of faith. Mm-hmm. Talk about that a little, because it's not something that, as we have a national reckoning on race, larger questions facing kids of all races, that developing a faith relationship or a faith commitment is not something that's often spoken about. How did you cultivate that? And, and, and what role do you think faith should play in helping young people develop their passions and what they will persevere at? Yeah, I think that's an outstanding question because you're right, it doesn't come up a lot. And this isn't, I'm, I'm, what I'm, my comments aren't to be proselytizing any one particular you know, faith. People should make that decision as to what they're comfortable. Uh, but I think there is, we all should, I'm hoping that people would see that there's something bigger than me. That's the point, something bigger than me and something that I can have bigger than me. Um, and for me, it, it started, look, I've been, I grew up in, like I said, in Texas and I grew up a, a black, black Catholic in Texas in the South. <laughs> In the 70s, 80s, you talk about an anomaly. <laughs> I was an anomaly. And, and then on top of that, y'all gonna love this. I actually wanted to be a priest to the point I actually went to monastery. I went to seminary for a day and a half. And the whole chastity and poverty thing, just, I just, the, and the silence thing, I couldn't handle it. So, um, and so I, I've, been, I've been brought up through the church, uh, through the Catholic church. Um, and there are, to your point, there are, ethical things, again, I disagree on a lot of things that the Catholic Church has in it. I'm very disappointed what's happened with the, the issue with the, with the priests and, and, the, and, and those issues. But to your answer question, the, the moral grounding that it gave me, the, the ability to understand the respect of all the peoples, um, I was just, I, I spent my day to day, the last two days, wishing happy Hanukkah to all my Jewish friends, right? You know, and, and, and you know, they love it. I mean, uh, I tell people all the time, the best time I ever had was at a cedar, man, out and, and a Jewish wedding. Those were two of the best times I've ever had in my life, hanging out with my Jewish friends. They know how to party. So it's, it's about opening our minds up to that and, and being able to have something that's beyond yourself, uh, Ian. But to your uh, uh, the other, latter part of your question, I would say the, one of the best compliments someone ever gave me, it was actually a Jewish woman on, on one of the boards that, on the firm that I'd served with. And she came to me, this happened just a couple of years ago. She says, you really lead with your faith. You never talk about it, but how you carry yourself, how you deal with others, how you deal with problems, it's clear you have that. And I'm telling you, man, that was one of the best compliments someone has ever given me. And this is from some white Jewish woman, right? And 
And so that's the answer to the question because it's how you carry yourself in, how you present yourself. My daddy used to tell me, you know, you can't, you know, how people, how people regard you, you can't do anything about how you are, how you or Q think of me, I can do nothing about. What I can do something about is how I carry myself. And that's more what we got to teach these young men. You got to carry yourself a certain way. You got to present yourself a certain way. And you can't worry about how people are going to think about you because they've already made up their mind about you when they saw a black man walking into the room. They've already, they've already scoped you out because you're a black man walking into the room. And ain't nothing you can do about that. But you can do something about how you carry yourself. And I think that's what faith has done for me. Have you ever felt crippled by your race, given that, given that kind of thing? I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, um, but dude, like all of us, I've been, I've been stopped driving while black, driving while jogging, driving by walking, driving while shopping, driving while living. <laughs> okay, you know, I've been- No, right, uh, no true, but have you ever felt crippled by it? Meaning that you couldn't move forward even in those situations that you just talked about? Couldn't, crippled, that's an interesting way that you phrase the question. Um, I'll use it this way. I was momentarily paralyzed. I think there was a paralysis that happened around that moment. There was a paralysis that happened maybe for you know some time. Um, and I think the paralysis or a combination of anger, a combination of you know you know a bunch of four letter words. So I definitely lost my religion at that time. Um, um, a combination of you know why. And, and questioning to you, maybe that, that is paralysis, questioning of why this still happens in pick a year, you know, pick a year. Um, because I think the frustration thing, frustrating thing for me, in my conversation with my, because I've, I've tried to have some very serious conversation with my white friends in, 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 in this year of 2020. And, and part of them, it has been, you know, calling, a, frankly, a spade a spade. And I'm very clear that, I've been very clear in my language that we have a white supremacist structure that allows for white privilege. And I separate those two. There's a white supremacist structure that allows for white privilege. And, and so that's the crippling effect, Ian, is that we don't have, we're not, we, me, we've not been bold enough or strong enough to have a direct conversation about white privilege and white supremacy. They are real, they are tantamount, unless you speak to them, we have contributed to them and that is the paralysis and that is the crippling effect. And so we have to be able to have the honest conversations with our white friends and frankly, some of our black friends as well, because some of them just as lost as, just, you know, there's some lost black people out there too, um, that this is real. And I, I had a quote as somebody sent me the other day that um, white supremacy will never be dealt with until white people see it as a problem they have to solve versus the making feeling they have to be empathetic with black people. That's exactly right. Until there's something that's problematic for them, we won't really solve this thing. Wow, okay, well, well let me just have one. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know Nike wants to do a speed round, but so thinking about that from the perspective of a Daryl, of a 16 year old, when you hear that, if you're a black kid and you hear that, not until white people decide that white supremacy is a problem that they have to solve, mm -hmm. will that problem go away? What does that do to a young black person's mindset about what they can achieve even, because let's say that day never comes. Yeah, they, they're paralyzed, you, you, they're crippled, using your words, they, 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 that is part of the crippling effect. But what we have to show them is that a 
Troy, that are NYQ, that are in, recognizes that crippling effect, and yet we and yet we rise, and yet we rise, and so we have. So you you look. I say all the time, gentlemen, that um, I don't mind playing the ball game as long as I understand the rules. And if the rules are stacked against me, that's fine. But at least I know the rules. And so to answer your question, what I think what we have to do is expose the Daryls of the world to the rules. Explain, let them understand the challenges. But as you talked about, Nike, you understand that this is about you got to get educated. You got to have a plan for yourself. You got to have an ethical boundaries about yourself. You got to have clarity as to where you are passionate about. And you can't allow you're going to get knocked down. You're going to lose. You're going to get knocked down. The question isn't, do you get knocked down? The question is, as my old minister friend used to say, do you fall face down or you fall face up? Which one do you want? Because when you fall face, face up, guess what? You can look up and you can put my hand up and somebody can pull you up. That's the difference. And I want the Daryls, when they fall down, that they fall down with their face up so they see a Nike, they see an Ian, they see a Troy to help them stand up. That's what I want to tell Daryl. Very good. Well, we will uh, we will transition to our speed round. Uh, which oh, this is not the fun part. <laughs> no, this is fun. You know, just a, a couple of um, subjects or people, and yep. you select the one that resonates more in your heart, and you, and you tell us and Daryl why. So I'll, I'll start with a real easy one, Troy. Harvard or Stanford? You got to explain. Stanford for the weather. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Malcolm or Martin? Oh, uh, I'll go with my fraternity brother, Martin. <laughs> now you got to give me the why. Um, that's a difficult choice because I, the challenge there is people have this one view of Malcolm and they don't have the view of Malcolm after he came back from, um, from his, uh, from his uh, journey. And um, I think Malcolm was more like Martin than, than people un really understand at the end of his at the end of his journey. So that's what. Fair. Economic development, which you've talked a lot about today, or civil rights. Um, economic development, and actually, I call it ex on that point. I actually have just changed our our, our uh, website and our, our mission. I actually believe Tedco is about economic empowerment because I'm, I'm very specific because. At the end of the day, what we do at Tedco, we invest in one person's dream to uplift that one person. Development is a larger strategic regional thing. Uh-uh. I just, I just want to make one person and one person make it happen. So economic development, economic empowerment. Very good. And, and the last one is uh, Jay-Z or Kanye? Oh, Z. Oh, please, Jay-Z. <laughs> Jay Give us the why. Jay-Z. I mean, um, Although, well, that's not fair, because I actually have fallen in love with Kanye in the last month since he, <laughs> did, since he did his conversion, since he did his conversion. So that's actually more of a, t I, you know, I was, I, over, I, I, I was too fast on that one. You know, I'm going to go with Kanye. I, I, like, I like his transition. I like the way he's thinking about life. And so I, I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's, he's, he's moving in a different direction. What did you think about his presidential campaign? God, you know, everybody tired to, you know, you know, do what the hell they want. This is a free country. God bless them. Um, you know, it was the same thing. You know, we thought we thought Jesse Jackson was crazy when he ran. And so, you know, you know, so um, I didn't it didn't bother me. I thought it was more jokey than, than it was anything serious because he didn't get on anybody's, you know, I think we had one or two states, I think maybe 
Um, so, you know, he, he was playing out there. He got enough money to go play. Let him play. Who cares? We got a, we got a big issue. I'm sitting here waiting to see if the Supreme Court is going to laugh at this madness, this my home state's madness that they just did filing this crazy lawsuit to, to try to overturn um, the four states. I'm waiting on the same crew. So, like, please stop. Stop this madness. Stop this madness. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this has been great. I, mean, I, I want to ask you just so you can uh, the, the the last question. And it is now pointed to, you know, if, if Daryl were on this call right now, he had just listened to you. He heard the importance of of, of being a person of faith, of getting educated. Um, but I want to come back to this idea of being crippled. Yep. Um, as we wait for uh, this realization for the white community to re you know, renounce the white supremacy ship. I wanna keep coming back to that because my fear is if that narrative continues to push, it invariably puts young people of color in a position where we're waiting for someone else to yep. influence our destiny. Yep, yep. And part of what we wanna do here is show that, of course, what your actions matter. It's not that these other issues don't, but your actions matter most of all. So what would you tell Daryl? He's 16. He's in the hood. Maybe he's, maybe he's in Houston right now where, where you grew up. And he's seeing all these stories. He's seeing all these stories. He's seeing what happened to George Floyd. Like, what, what, is his, what is his vision of the future and how can he best control it? So Ian and Mike, you say that only, um, you know, I'm married, I've been married coming on 25 years. So I don't, I don't, we don't get a choice with our, with our family, right? But the only real choice you really have in life is your friends. And Daryl needs to surround himself. I, I, I have this motto that my mom taught me that, uh, Ian, that you can only rise to the highest level of the lowest level of the people you associate yourself with. That's why I associate myself with you, brother, so I can rise up to y'all. <laughs> and so, my point to Daryl is too many times, back to this zip code thing, right? Daryl's got to find a way to see beyond the zip code boundary lines, between, between 77033. He's got to put around him individuals who, can, who, are, who right now he can look up to, to, to the Dan Mask of the world. He needs a Dan Mask. He needs to see something beyond that, you know, you know that I couldn't have done. He needs to see the Ian's and the Troy's that, you know, yes, I'm sitting here in this, you know, Bowie, Maryland, beautiful home, wife, two kids, all this other stuff, crazy red jacket. Um, but, you know, I grew up, you know, in a home that had a hole in the roof, you know, of it. I grew up in a home that the air conditioned during the summertime in Houston didn't work half the time. You know, I grew up with a mama who didn't have a college education and worked three jobs just to send me to a private school that to this day, I don't know what she paid for me to go to that private school because the priest, uh, she made a deal with the priest to send me there. So, the, and I surrounded myself with individuals who I still have in my life today, who uh, my, my pediatrician, who's like my surrogate dad, who never let me realize, who let, made me realize that I was more than what I was in that neighborhood. So Daryl's got to find him somebody or bodies who can tell him you are more than this and it doesn't matter what the white man does, you can be more, you can be what you want to be. And so the chains, the, 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 the shackles that we wanna call them, the shackles that, that the zip codes impose upon you can be unleashed if you intentionally go out and get that education, get those individuals, you're gonna fail, but that's okay because there's enough of a community that wants to pick you up there. 
All right. Well, on that note, Troy, thank you very much. Thank you for uh, making yet another special episode of the Invisible Men. Um, and Nike, you want to say your well, just again, thank you. Thank you, Brother Troy. An absolute pleasure. Your energy, your passion, it, it's unchanged and it's as infectious and, and uh, valued as ever. So thank you. Well, again, thank you, too, brothers, for continuing this conversation. And uh, it's one that's needed in this in this year and in the years to come. All right. I'm Ian Rowe, resident fellow of the American Enterprise Institute. And I'm Nike Fajors. Thank you, Troy. Thank you, guys. Have a good holiday. Thank you for watching another episode of The Invisible Men. You can find other episodes at the AEI podcast channel on YouTube or the website invisible.men or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 